Hello. Welcome. To who knew? Indeed. This is loud. Yeah. Whoops. Hold it's on. It's very loud. <laughs> Sorry. Maybe if I... I think it's because the ice is like up against the... Hold on. A little bit. <laughs> um, hello. Hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I fucking finally lost the game of COVID dodgeball. You did lose the game the, pretty hard. The ranks were thinning. Yeah. And somehow. I was... <laughs> Somehow we went two whole years. Yeah, without and, getting uh, it. Um, I'm still running strong, though. She is. I don't know how, because we don't have a big enough house to really, like... Separate? Yeah. Um, I'm still on nights, and so Jack's been kind of, like, on, like, the days, so we're trying to stay separate that way. I've just been, like, not way. sleeping. Or that. <laughs> just, like, sleeping on the couch and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's hard, especially right now. Because we'll we have to record an episode. I know. I know. I still feel fine. And I took the COVID test and it was negative. So maybe my immune system's just better than yours. She was talking about uh, tattoos, how getting lots of tattoos can boost your immune system. I think just Who tattoos knew? in general boost your immune them. system. Yeah. You because like you're, now your body's it. like fighting that foreign mm. object. And so it's already ready to right. fight. So it's yeah. boosting that. So that's... That's interesting. Scientifically, what I'm betting on as to why I don't have it right now, um, because of my tattoos. So, thanks, Miranda. <laughs> Once again. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Miranda. Your one tattoo didn't do shit for me. That was months ago. So. I know. <laughs> Try getting three in one month, and then you're golden. You'll you're never get a, a cold right. again. Yeah. God, that'd be nice. That's kind of what this feels like right now. Yeah. Just a bad, and I fucking hate colds. Yeah. I hate colds. I would rather have one night of, like, explosive flu, like stomach flu. I thought you were going to say something else. Than have a week of a cold. Yeah. It's just hard because, like, you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. That's the worst part. You're tired. You're always congested. Yep. I don't know. Like, shit. But whatever. But alas. Get a week off. Speaking of, it is a week off of the podcast for me because Sammy was nice enough to not... Make me do research. Yeah. He's not been feeling good. So I was like, I did a lot of research on my one topic this week, which is like, a, it's more than just one topic. I branch off into a bunch of other things. I have like nine pages of notes, so it should be enough for a full episode. So I'm excited. I'm very excited, too. I didn't think that it was going to be this intense. <laughs> I didn't. I thought I was just going to do some fun little story and then that's it. But it, it branches off into like so many different things. So, Badass. yeah. Sick. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go. Um. So, should I should I say <laughs> why I did this uh, this topic? Sure. <laughs> um. I don't think like we've done like the last three episodes where somehow conveniently we talk about something that comes back to the titanic absolutely not on purpose not on purpose until i thought about it and i was like that's, that's she's fucking like we funny. should make this on purpose we should just keep <laughs> this ball rolling so originally i was going to talk about a topic that relates back to the titanic and jack was going to do something different but now you guys are stuck with 100 percent titanic again so I decided to talk about the inspiration of something in the Titanic. So let's just go. I'm just going to go. Let's just go. Let's just go. So I'm going to talk about the Hope Diamond. And this goes super back in history, like all the way back to the 1600s. But God oh. knows like where it originally right. came from or in, like what time frame that was. Again, record keeping. Yeah, back in the day it wasn't very Nobody good. Nobody gave a shit. It, which is how 
you'll see that with like all the different variations of the story, it gets kind of crazy. So I'm sorry if it's a little confusing, but like that, I think it's that's confusing. Um, so for <laughs> There's no sure, no way to make it not confusing. Yeah, for sure, we know that a French merchant traveler named John Baptist Travenier. He's French, nice. so I'm going to say that. He purchased a 112 3 16th carat diamond. That's huge, apparently. Um, yeah. Especially when we go into later on, whatever. Um, I think carrots go by, like, the size or the weight. One of the two. I can't remember. I was really doing some research to understand what carrots meant. Like, Means- is there an object you can give me that I can see in my brain? Nope. That was about, okay, like tennis ball? No? Oh my god, Golf no. ball? No, I would say more like a... Not a tennis ball. It's like larger than a quarter. I'd say like... Half dollar. No, larger than a half That's dollar. Dollar. Like a... Silver dollar. Silver like dollar. This big? Like a, a golf dollar. ball. <laughs> like the first thing I said? You said tennis ball. Okay, second thing I said? <laughs> like, a, I would imagine around a golf ball size. Okay, okay. This is um, us guessing. Yeah, totally guessing, just based off of what it looks like now. Right. Which it changes throughout the years, which is interesting to me. So it starts out 112, 3 sixteenths of a carat. So I'm sure somebody out there knows more about diamonds than I do. So the assumption is that this diamond most likely came from the Collar Mine, which is Galconda, India. Hmm. Yeah, um, it's described to have been crudely cut into a triangular shape, and John even described the diamond's color as a beautiful violet, um, but I think like most boys, he didn't know his color very well, or maybe he did, but um, later on, Jean sold the diamond to the French king Louis the Fourth, 14th, lol. Roman numerals are hard. Um, the 14th in 1668, along with 14 other large diamonds, because he was like a traveling merchant, and that's what he did. Um, and all like, like just a bunch of stuff he sold to the king. Okay. Um, with this purchase, the diamond was recut in 1673 by Sir Pitau, who was a court jeweler who led the diamond to now being 67 and one eighth of a carat. So he, like, cut it into half the size that it used to be. So I imagine now it's, like, a half dollar, silver dollar. Okay. Um, and in the royal inventories, it was described as an intense steely blue and not so much a violet. But I don't know if the color change was because they had cut it so much and, like, the reflection of the colors Maybe. had changed because yeah. some parts were taken off. I don't know. But... um Somehow, the steely blue is definitely different than purple, in my opinion. Uh, After this cut, uh, the diamond became known as the Blue Diamond of the Crown, or the French Blue. It also apparently once was known as the Tavernier, Tavernier, I think that's how I pronounce it the first time, Blue, which is after Jean. Uh, The diamond ended up being set in gold and placed on a neck ribbon, which the king wore as a necklace during ceremonial occasions. Then in 1749, King Louis the Fifteenth had the diamond reset by a different court jeweler, Andre Jacquemin, in order to create a different piece of ceremonial ceremonial jewelry for the Order of the Golden Fleece. Huh? Do you know what that is? No. <laughs> Do you? Did I? Did you know it before I this? I did not know before this. Um, in French, it's. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. You can Google it. Um, <laughs> it's like abbreviated and stuff. It's difficult for somebody that doesn't speak French to say that. Um, so if you 
didn't know, because obviously it's not a very well-known thing now that it's not 1749, but uh, according to Britannica, the Order of the Golden Fleece is a knighthood that was founded by Philip III, who was the, quote, good Duke of Burgundy, end quote. Um, he built this... Uh, knighthood essentially in 1430 in order to celebrate his marriage to isabella of portugal so yeah i don't know i feel like those two things are not related i think it was just a way for him to be like i'm getting married so i need the knighthood i need a knighthood to remember this by i don't know kings do weird things to seem important i guess i'm not sure why king louis the 15th wanted to give this extraordinary diamond to the order of the golden fleece but he must have liked them a lot and decided that it was good enough for them it was like some decoration or something for them for a while but we have to skip to a few years to a scandal that i'm sure that we're all going to be pretty uh well-versed in once I say it. This happened in 1791 after King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette oh. uh, attempted to flee France and the French royal treasury turned over the jewels they had to the government as a punishment. Um, we'll talk more about the fates of King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette if you don't know. We'll t- I'll tell you in a second. Um, so then a year after the famous Diamond of the Crown got confiscated by the French government, there was a rampage of looting of crown jewels that lasted for a week. Uh, the blue diamond wasn't immune to the chaos of the French Revolution, which is why mm. all of this was happening. So the diamond goes missing for a minute or two or three. It just goes missing for a very long time. Um, and eventually a minute emerged... or two or three. It... Uh, whatever. <laughs> Here's the thing. is like when I was first doing my research, my first source was the smithsonian so i was like oh that's a pretty trusted resource um and then according to the smithsonian or at least the articles that i found it went missing for 20 years what the fuck? yeah but then i found other sources that said that it was found before that so i'm gonna kind of this is where it gets kind of confusing mm. of the history mm-hmm. so i'm gonna tell you one part of it and then try to tell you what other people have said um so it goes missing and emerged in London of 1812, and because of its beauty, it got in possession of British King George the Fourth. Um, though I have, like I said, conflicting reports of what happened to the diamond after it went missing. One source had stated that the diamond went missing until 1839, which is the Smithsonian mm-hmm. record, um, where there was a gem that had entered into a collection catalog of the well-known Henry Philip Hope. Um, eventually, once someone goes to see the collection of Henry Philip Hope, they confirm that it is the diamond that they lost 20 years ago, or maybe not 20 years ago. I don't know. Uh, so it's not. It wasn't known according to the Smithsonian article that I found how Henry got the guy, the diamond, but maybe it was from King George. If that source is correct, that King George had it in 1812, King George somehow got it, probably bought it from some fucking smuggler, <laughs> I don't know, and then eventually passed it on to Henry um, Philip Hope. But regardless, the diamond for sure ends up in Henry Philip Hope's possession, and so much so that it ends up taking his name, which is why it's known as the Hope Diamond. Okay. Um, Though I did find by... F- Fortuna Auction, I can't pronounce, FortunaAuction.com, that upon George's death, King George, um, the diamond was most likely sold to pay off debt that incurred during his reign, and by 1839, it made its way, like I said, to Henry, blah, 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 um, yada, yada, you know, I already told you the rest, I don't right. know why I 
that note was out of place. I'm sorry. You're fine. Um, so during that year, 1839, Henry Philip Hope died and his possessions, which after much legal debate and time, <laughs> went to his nephew, Henry Thomas Hope. Apparently the name ran in the family, which I'm sure was common back then. That's why we have like King George the 28th and stuff like that. Um, so I'm going to call Henry T-Dog because his middle name is okay. Thomas. So I'm not sure if T-Dog didn't. No, that sounds weird. I'm going to say... I'm just going to say Henry the, the third or something like that. Okay. It's his nephew. Okay. I don't okay. know. I don't think he's the third, but T-Dog sounds weird. Um so I'm not sure if Henry the third something didn't want it or what, but eventually he gave the diamond to his grandson, Lord Francis Hope, who must not be too much of a grandson. When I think grandson, I think like child. Yeah. But also back then, I wouldn't be surprised if a child was a lord. So. That also true. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Seems very <laughs> interesting. So, just hold on to this really weird wild ride that's about to happen. So. This is where the position of the diamond starts to get tricky, if it wasn't already tricky already. Mm -hmm. um, after being in debt and protesting for permission to sell the diamond three times. So Lord Francis Hope, basically, he was in so much debt that he had this diamond that was worth a lot of money. And he's just like, can I sell this? And his family was like, no, you can't. Because that came from like mm -hmm. grandpa, uncle or something. Um, <laughs> grandpa, uncle. I'm thinking grandson, nephew. So grandpa, uncle. <laughs> Uh, that's not correct. It's all weird. It's very weird. This came from a very cherished family member. Do not sell it. So he finally was like, okay, fine. I'll try to figure out a different way to sell my possessions to get out of debt. He's like, this isn't working. Can I sell it again? And they were like, no. Still no. Yeah, still no. And he's like, well, fuck. I'm losing everything here. And then so finally, after the third time of protesting, he finally obtained permission which is so weird that you have to get permission. Uh, this was in 1901, and uh, the court of chancery and his sisters agreed to sell the stone to help pay off his debts. Finally. I think bear's making weird noises. We have a growling bear. Very upset bear. <laughs> um, so when Lord Francis uh, sold the, the stone, finally, he sold it to a London dealer who quickly sold it to Joseph Frankel. A lot of sources also said Frankel's at the end, so I don't know which one it is. I'm going to go with Frankel, because that sounds different, I guess. Um, they, <laughs> they sold it to the London dealer Joseph Frankel and Sons, which was in New York City, who retained the stone in New York until they, in turn, also needed cash. And were like, fuck, we got to sell this stone. Um, the diamond was then sold to Salim Habib, who put it up for auction in Paris in 1909, so he didn't keep hold of it very long. Uh, it did not sell at the auction, but was sold soon after to C.H. Ronzenu. Uh, so the diamond did not sell an auction, but was soon sold after to a C.H. Rosenau, who then sold it to Pierre Cartier that same year, which might sound familiar to some of you guys, might not. Uh, I'll go into depth a little bit about this. So, Pierre apparently took a large gamble buying the diamond. According to Forbes, he bought the diamond knowing that the large purchase would put a dent in his fin finances and put his firm at risk, which I feel like is what a lot of people did when they bought the diamond, but they were like, oh my god, I'm gonna, I'm gonna own this diamond, like the clout from it, you know? Which right. wasn't really worth it, apparently. <laughs> so, despite, um, I'm sorry, desperate to resell, Pierre started to show off the diamond to potential buyers. He had spent some time in America, and he knew that the people there would be his best target audience. Because the fame and size of the the diamond meant, like, everything to Americans. Mm. Like, we're very materialistic, I guess, in that sense. Where people are like, I will spend anything so I can have this 
very large, luxurious, well-known, famous diamond. I don't get that. I don't get it either. But whatever. So this is where this story gets really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in 1910, Pierre showed the diamond to a Mrs. Evelyn Walsh McLean while she was in Paris. She vacationed there a whole bunch. She was an American heiress that lived in Washington, D.C., and her dad actually found one of the largest gold mines in the U.S. So her family was set, like super set. So she not only came from a prominent family and wealthy family, but she also married into one when she was 22. In 1908, she married 19-year-old Ned McLean. I know. Very young. Uh, Ned McLean was of the Washington Post family. So, I'm sure we all know what the Washington Post is. Ned? Ned Washington Post. I mean, it's just Ned McLean. I know. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it was from being young. Maybe it was from purely not caring about their financials since they both came from money. But... They just kind of bought whatever they wanted. They just seemed to like have absolutely no care or want, like curiosity. <clears throat> yeah, no. I could not imagine being like, oh, I can just buy this like million dollar diamond and not care. Well, it's so. like we talked about last week how they like paid hundreds of thousands of dollars for entertainment. Yeah. Like, the I just want to see you do this and I'll pay you whatever you want me to pay you. That's nuts. It's super crazy. So when Pierre finally... um got evelyn he showed her the diamond and hoping that she'd purchase it since she was known to already have a very extensive diamond collection in the first place and he was like this is the person that this is it she's going to be the one that wants the diamond the most and she's going to have the money to pay me for it but she didn't like the setting of the diamond so pierre being a jeweler and the gentleman that he is reset the diamond and took it back to the united states where he let evelyn have it for the weekend he was just kind of it's kind of like fostering. It's yeah. like foster this diamond, have it for the weekend, period. see how it fits in with you and your family, and then come back to me, let me know. But apparently she ended up loving the diamond, so it worked <laughs> for him. <laughs> it's so weird. It's weird, right? That is weird. She's like, hold on to this. I trust you with like this really expensive rare diamond. Um, so she ended up loving it so much that she bought the diamond in 1911 for $180,000. Seems cheap for that. How much do you think that is today? Oh. What year was it? 1911. One billion. Oh, shut the fuck up. No, it was, it's equal to $5 million today. $5 million for a diamond. That's a lot. I know. Um, So I guess they agreed on paying it in in installments. So the first installment was going to be $40,000. I don't know what, how much that would be today. I imagine... Take whatever 40000 of 180000 is and divide it and figure out the math on your own. Right. Um, upon purchase, she had it mounted as a headpiece on a three-tiered circlet of large white diamonds. So a crown. Yeah. <laughs> circlet. Circlet. But it, it's like three-tiered. you're not a queen, like, it's a very th- tall crown. I don't understand. <laughs> Regardless, white diamonds and this be- beautiful blue uh, diamond in the center. So later, Evelyn had the diamond become a pendant on a necklace, which represents the appearance of the Hope Diamond as we see it today. So she had it reset into, Mm. um, I'll show pictures on the Instagram, but I'm sure you all can picture it in your head. It had the blue diamond Mm. and the other diamonds around it. Uh, So more describing. (laughs) I like how I don't read my notes and I just tell you what I... Anyways, so the pendants surrounding the Hope Diamond were 16 white diamonds, like pretty large, Mm. both pear shapes and cushion cuts. 
just like teardrop shapes basically and uh cushion is like a circular i think okay i looked at a lot of pictures and i don't think that's right but whatever if you know what diamond cuts are that's what they are so a bale bale is soldered to the pendant where evelyn would often attach other diamonds including the mclean diamond which i'll describe that for you guys later and the star of the east diamond um which i will also describe for you later yeah, she had a lot. So the necklace chain contains the chain itself contains forty five white diamonds. Wow! Like it's expensive <coughs> to like have it reset into that and then right. keep it. Um, Evelyn is quoted as stating about the diamond that quote they make me feel comfortable and even happy. The truth is, when I neglect to wear my jewels, astute members of my family call in doctors because it's a sign that I'm becoming ill. End quote. <laughs> Okay. So she very she really loves her diamonds. Um, however, after the purchase, it sounds like there was some drama between Pierre and Evelyn because of payment issues. Uh, Evelyn even tried to return the diamond at one point, and Pierre was like, "Fuck no, there's no fucking way." <laughs> so Pierre and his brother, um, who he earned the uh, earned who he owned the firm with, filed a legal suit against the McLeans. Oh, right, right. Yeah. To which Evelyn, after that suit came to the fruition she uh held up her end of the bargain and uh, like, bought I the diamond guess i'll pay for this. yeah literally i didn't even like it to begin with but i, I hated it but it. then you forced it upon me <laughs> um so she eventually kept ownership of the diamond until her death in 1947 so a very long time when compared to yeah. other that's like she bought it in 1911 36 years that she kept it um Whoa. So after her death, two years after her death, to be exact, Harry Winston, in- oh my gosh, Harry Winston Incorporated from New York City bought Evelyn's entire jewelry collection. Um, the money from the purchase, including the Hope Diamond, was used to pay off Evelyn's debts. Surprise, surprise! Everybody here is has surrounding debt <laughs> when it comes to buying this mm-hmm. crazy diamond. Um, at least according to Bonot.com, which I'm not sure if this is a reliable source or not because they didn't even spell her name right. It's the only source that I found that she used it to pay off her debts. But I, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised because every other person that owned this diamond used it to pay off debts. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, Evelyn loved luxurious diamonds, as I said, because her collection was also uh, in her collection also was the 94.8 carat uh, diamond called the Star of the East. Uh, then the 15 carat Star of the South diamond, a 9 carat green diamond, and a 31 carat diamond that was named after her, like I said, uh, mm-hmm. the McLean diamond. Uh, I just want to throw it out there that Evelyn did end up trading the Star of the East pendant to Pierre in order to help pay for the Hope diamond. So that ended up being out of her possession for a little bit. So the Harry Winston Incorporated take the next 10 years and show the Hope Diamond at various exhibits and charitable events around the world. So it's kind of like a touring exhibit. Uh, But then in November 10th of 1958, the Harry Winston Incorporated donated the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian Institution, which quickly became their premier attraction at the Smithsonian. Obviously, it's a pretty rare diamond. Um, since 1958, the Hope Diamond has only left its new home at the Smithsonian four times. Once in 1962 when the exhibit, I'm sorry, when it was exhibited for a month at the Louvre in Paris as part of an exhibit called Ten Centuries of French Jewelry. Then in 1965, the Hope Diamond traveled to South Africa where it was exhibited at the Rand Easter Show in Johannesburg. Then in 1984... 
The diamond went to Harry Winston Incorporated in New York as part of the firm's 50th anniversary celebration. And lastly, in 1996, the Hope Diamond was again taken to the Harry Winston Incorporated New York, this time for cleaning and minor restoration work. So, fun fact, the weight of the Hope Diamond for many years was reported to be 44.5 carats after it was reset several times, but Mm -hmm. in 1974, it was removed from its setting and found to actually weigh 45.52 carats. Hmm. It is classified that the type, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right because I don't really know a lot, but LLB, Mm -hmm. LLB diamond or something like that, which are semiconductive and usually phosphorus phosphorescence phosphorus 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 the s and the c at the end really confused me which are semiconductive and usually phosphorus the hope diamond phosphorescence uh fuck me the hope diamond reflects for the phosphorus a strong red color which would last for several seconds after exposure to a short wave of ultraviolet light which is really interesting um the diamond's blue coloration (laughs) is uh, attributed to trace amounts of boron in the stone so it's whatever um in december of 1988 a team of gemological institute of america visited the smithsonian to grade the great blue stone using present-day techniques they observed observed that the gem showed evidence of where obviously it was recut like a million times uh has a remarkably strong like we said the phosphorus phosphorescence there we go um and then its clarity is slightly affected by a whitish graining which is common for blue diamonds they describe the color as a fancy dark grayish blue so eh, whatever an examination of the same day by another gemologist using a very sensitive Colorometer? It's C-O-L-O-R-I-M-E-T-R. Colorometer. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Revealed that there is a very slight violet component to the deep blue color, which is uh, basically invisible to the naked eye, which apparently not to the diamond's first owner, John Baptist, who said that it was violet, so he has the eyes of a whatever that thing that you said was. So we're going to talk about the major thing that when everybody thinks Hope Diamond, besides Titanic. Oh, um, <laughs> Titanic. No, uh, anytime you like look up the Hope Diamond, even on Google, it says cursed. So mm-hmm. it, it claims that the Hope Diamond is cursed. So that's where I'm going to go with what all these uh, accusations are. So we're going to touch back on some of the owners um, and the bad luck that fell upon them when owning the diamonds. So like most cursed things, it is claimed to be cursed because it was stolen from an idol in India. So again, I'm not sure how true this story is, but the curse apparently gave bad luck or death to not only the owner, but those who touched it. And who was this person that would dare steal anything from an idol in India? Who do you think? It was good old Jean-Baptiste Tavernier. I can't pronounce his name. Um, is John himself, the original person who was known to have had the uh, diamond. Nice. Apparently, he took the trip to India and stole the blue diamond from the forehead, but possibly also the eye. Not really too sure. I, get, I got sources that said both. Like, it was on the forehead of the statue, but it was also an eye of the statue. If I have, Here's my thing. If it was the eye of the statue, wouldn't you take the other one, too? 
whatever but the statue india and there's a third eye and the third eye was the it might be it's the hindu goddess sita which i know i'm not pronouncing that wrong and i apologize i'm not pronouncing that right and i apologize but um after john stole the diamond to and he sold it to king louis the uh 14th it is reported that while in russia jean was ripped apart by wild dogs so that's where his luck with the diamond went bad um, the diamond also affected the lives of Nicolas Fouquet, who was a uh, French officer that got executed, as well as a Princess de Lamballe, who was e- beaten to death by a French mob. Oh, my God. Um, as for the famous Marie Antoinette and King Louis XVI, Obviously. which I'm sure we all know what happened to them, but as they tried to flee France because of their wrongdoings while in charge of France, they were beheaded during the French Revolution. So then we're going to go to... Uh, Sultan Abdul Hamid in Turkey, who became the owner of the diamond in 1908, he apparently lost his throne and his favorite Subia uh, wore the diamond when Hamid himself was killed. By the way, I tried to Google what a Subia was and I couldn't find anything. Google just kept asking if I meant to spell subway, (laughs) which is obviously not correct. Um, So if anybody knows, please let me know so I can educate myself and like get the correction to listeners because... I'd like to know what a Subia is. It's S-U-B-A-Y-A. Heads up. Anyways. So let's keep going. There's a Greek jeweler named Simon Matherides who was killed when he, his wife, and child were ran over by a precipice. Um, The grand Precipice? Mm -hmm. Precipice. (laughs) Rode over a precipice. According to Google, a precipice is a very steep rock face or cliff. So I imagine maybe they were walking and, like, got pushed off the road and fell down this cliff. Yeah, not fun. Uh, So then the grandson of Henry Thomas Hope, the the Lord Francis, uh, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. uh, ended up also dying. Shocking. But to make things worse, he was penniless when he died, obviously, because he tried selling it three times. Uh, So that's his curse. Then there was a Russian count and an actress who owned the stone in the early 20th century. And uh, that obviously ended badly, or at least, like, they got killed and stuff. Right. So all of these are stories that were claimed by Pierre Cartier. So the truth of them mm-hmm. may or may not be there. But this is what Pierre has, like, I think he was also trying to, like, hype up the diamond to, like, get, like, more clout, I think, yeah. to, like, get more exposure. Like, to hey, like it's cursed. You want to pay me more for it? Yeah, I'll something crazy. Like, like that. But researcher Richard Curran reports that many of these stories were misleading and flat-out lies. Are we surprised? Perhaps, like I said, it was just Pierre trying to get the stone famous enough to sell it himself. Um, But let's cover some, quote, facts. I'm not sure if they're (laughs) facts or not, because I think this is coming from Richard uh, Curran. Um, It's believed that Jean didn't steal the diamond from an idol, but rather purchased it at a market in India because he was stated earlier... A f- traveling French merchant, so he was more likely to be going into the like maybe black markets <laughs> of places that were being sold versus like going and getting it himself. Mm-hmm. It just seems very odd. I don't know. Uh, and he searched the world for gems, so it's not weird for him to be like in India trying to find these things. Uh, Marie Antoinette and King Louis the Sixteenth died of their own fucked up bullshit. So mm-hmm. the diamond, I don't think, made that any worse. Um, but I would love to cover their story in a future episode because I feel like there's so much, like, nitty-gritty. But mm. 
had no idea about. Um, anyways, as for Evelyn, we know that there is much back and forth about the diamond and that she is, uh, I'm sorry, and that has apparently been connected to the fact that Evelyn found out the diamond was cursed from Mary Yo, who was the ex-wife, uh, ex-wife of Henry Thomas Hope, the yeah. nephew of Henry Philip Hope, who the diamond, diamond is named after. Um, so that's what I believe is the reason why Evelyn was like, oh, I'll buy it. Uh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> uh, so May had explicitly and publicly warned Evelyn against buying the diamond in March 1911 in a newspaper article. I, I don't know. It's just a weird place to do that. Um, but naturally, Evelyn had the diamond blessed at a church of Russell Monsignor. Uh, for the matter of dramatics, I'm not sure if this happened or not, but this is what was reported. Obviously, Mother Nature decided that it was going to be a stormy night on the night that the diamond was supposed to be blessed. And it's reported that just as the diamond was awaiting its blessing on a velvet cushion, that lightning flashed and thunder shook the building. Though most would have seen this as a bad omen, Evelyn didn't. And she even said, quote, ever since that day, I've worn my diamond as a charm, end quote. <laughs> so she wasn't very bothered by it. Right. Um, reportedly, she loved showing off the diamond for the clout it gave her and never missed an opportunity to flaunt the spectacular hope. She even tied the diamond around the neck of her Great Dane dog, Mike. Or Mike? Mike. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Her dog's name was Mike. Or she held lavish garden parties where she hid it in the bushes and insisted the guests join her in her favorite game called Find the Hope. <laughs> What a fucking game. I know. It's like, How here's expensive this... <laughs> She bought it for $5 million. She's going to put it around the dog. But that doesn't mean that Evelyn didn't have her share of bad luck. Her husband, Ned, eventually ran off with another woman and then eventually in- himself ended up being committed to a mental institution and died in 1941. Uh, the family newspaper, The Washington Post, went bankrupt. Uh, her son was killed in a car accident and her daughter died of a drug overdose. So she had her own run of the mill of bad luck. Uh, And for a brief moment during the Depression, Evelyn was forced to pawn the Hope Diamond for $37,500 in a last minute attempt to prevent a house foreclosure. Um, There was a day that she had arranged um, to reclaim it eventually. She took the train from Washington to New York and turned up at William Simpson's pawn shop entirely alone. I don't know why it was noted that she didn't like have bodyguards or anything with her. I think maybe because the Hope, like, the diamond was so mm-hmm. precious. Um, but she didn't even bring a bag, like nothing. But she stuffed the diamond along with other precious stones that she was picking up that she had sold into her dress and set off in uptown to meet some friends. <laughs> After lingering too long, could you imagine being no. at lunch and like having diamonds in your jacket no. or something? Ugh. Like she... The hope diamond, not yeah. just like diamonds. It's like the the diamond. Yeah, literally. Uh, so she spent too long at lunch and she was running late for her train. So she was running, quote, through the station so fast I thought I so fast I thought I would be shaking the stones out of my bosom every step, end quote. So oh she shoved them in her bra. <laughs> oh, that's even better. Uh, <laughs> so let's go back to Pierre and his brother Louis Louis? Louis uh, at their firm. Uh, financially speaking, the sale of the Hope wasn't positive for Cartier. After all the legal fees, the firm ended up taking a loss. Uh, the board meeting minutes noted, quote, Upon examining our legal expenses, we have decided to be more strict. In the future, we will have to think very carefully before taking legal advice. We will avoid it as much as possible, end <laughs> quote. 
<laughs> I think they were like they got burned. Yeah, then... literally, they were like, "Fuck, this didn't really work out." But yet, there was no question in Pierre's mind that it had been totally worth it. Through the single transaction, Cartier became a household name in New York. After all, who doesn't want a? I'm sorry. After all, who wasn't secretly fascinated by the exploits of the? McLean's basically being slammed all over the newspapers for this legal situation. And to add to the idea of the mysterious case, the gossip columns had struck gold, like talking yeah. shit about it. Uh, the Cartiers have shied away from taking out advertisements uh, in the early years before this whole thing happened. But there were more that they were more than happy to have their names spread across the press alongside pictures or social updates with the famous clients that yeah. they were dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, which obviously Cartier still stands today. It's still a very well-known jewelry business. So they obviously ended up on the up and up after all that time. So let's talk about the crazy stories that it has to do with the Titanic. And I only say crazy stories because I learned that when doing this research that the Hope Diamond isn't the only inspiration for the diamond in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you know that already? Mm-hmm. What other stories did you hear? You're really putting me on the spot right now. <laughs> I, I don't. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so Titanic, obviously, the Hope Diamond was the inspiration behind the heart of the ocean that we see Kate Winslet as Rose wear in the 1997 film. I believe that I stated in my Titanic episode, uh, this already, but I'm just going to say it once more. The original Heart of the Ocean necklace is seen throughout the film. Obviously, that necklace was a prop, mainly composed of cubic zirconia, probably for like financial purposes, because that film was uh, probably millions of dollars to make. Um, however, after the film's success, Asprey and Gerard were commissioned to create an authentic version of the necklace uh, with a 171-carat heart-shaped Cylon sapphire uh, surrounded by 103 diamonds. Very similar to the Hope Diamond, but it has the heart shape versus the right. round shape that the Hope Diamond is. Uh, Celine Dion proudly wore this replication of the necklace in 1998 at the Academy Awards ceremony where she performed the film's passionate and beloved theme song, My Heart Will Go On. Uh, so hear me out. I have a story. I don't think it's true because my <laughs> first source was from a website called LoanCompanies.com. Yeah the fucking weirdest thing but then another uh website called news.bbc.co.uk also kind of reported the same thing so i guess it's kind of legit maybe whatever um according to those sources the heart of the ocean was real but it was called the love of the sea the elegant gem belonged to 19-year-old Kate Florence Phillips, whose paramour, I had to keep that in there because paramour, uh, which if you don't know what paramour means when it's spelled P-A-R-A-M-O-U-R, it means illicit lover. Huh. So um, Henry Samuel Morley was her paramour. He was, he was 20 years older than her and also her boss. Oh. Uh, yeah. So he Ooh. gave her this necklace as a token of her love. And the necklace, according to pictures that I saw, it was like a little square blue diamond kind of thing around like a rectangular like almost like a picture frame of diamonds around it so not quite like the hope diamond with its elegance but it was still very classy so henry had purchased second class tickets under the pseudonym mr and mrs marshall uh for the two lovebirds so they could elope in san francisco imagine taking a ship to new york and then having to travel all the way down to san francisco just to elope sounds like a bullshit story to me around the entire yeah like 
she i'm sorry i'm sorry kate you're being played um but henry was already married and had a young daughter back in england but had fallen for his uh shop assistant his you know Mm -hmm. below yes yeah anyways so kate proudly wore the love of the sea in the dining rooms of the titanic and even as the ship hit the iceberg and began its obvious crash to the sea floor kate was still wearing the necklace uh henry could not swim and so sadly he drowned but kate survived with the with the necklace she lost everything else um which is what some people claim is the actual uh inspiration for the story Mm -hmm. of rose and jack except for jack is not her boss in the movie (laughs) which is probably a better way to go yeah so bbc states that kate also found out four weeks later that she was pregnant um and kate eventually passed the necklace on to her daughter ellen mary walker who lived in worcester when kate died in 2006 her ashes were spread all over the side of the titanic wreckage which is weird but cool i guess yeah um so this article was last dated updated in 2007 and it stated that a david scott bettered from the nomadic trusts is now in ownership of the necklace and other items of kate such as the keys to her trunk her purse and obviously the necklace as well as a pocket watch that was found in the wreckage of the titanic that is claimed to have been henry's Hmm. Yeah. So at least in 2007, the necklace that might have also been the inspiration for the Titanic is on display at the Nomadic Ship, which was built in 1911. It was bought by the government, restored, and eventually settled beside the Odyssey at Eastern Belfast as a tour, I'm sorry, a tourist attraction. Kind of like a floating museum. Yep. but I also found another story by Urbo.com that states that the lovers on the Titanic weren't actually Kate and Henry. It was a couple named Virginia and Walter. So this one I feel like is a little bit better and more poised to the Walter. Yeah, to the story. Also, I'm just trying to think like how many like how many oh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's probably all kinds of scandals happening on the Titanic that like I'm sure there could be a lot more other, like, inspirational things for the movie mm-hmm. based off of, like, what happened there. Because it was, like, the ship of, like, dreams. And so people, yeah. I'm sure, were like, I'm going to get away from my life or, like, I'm going to start all over. Like, just like how Kate and Henry supposedly were doing. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, they can't be the only ones out of yeah. the thousands of people on there. Right. Anyways, so Virginia boarded the Titanic along with her husband, Walter Miller Clark, so the two of them could return to their home in Los Angeles. They had been in Europe uh, on their belated honeymoon and were eager to return home so they could be with their son for his second birthday. Um, According to Alexandra Kil... Kil Oh my gosh. Klingelhofer? Um, She's a curator for the premiere exhibitions in Las Vegas, where the Titanic, the artifact exhibition, opened in April 15th, 2017 at Mm -hmm. the Luxor. Um, She states that the Clarks were first class passengers aboard the ship and had actually cut their honeymoon short to return home on the luxurious ship. Damn. Yeah. Um, Like most other passengers, Virginia and Walter likely thought that they were perfectly safe on the giant ocean liner, assuming that they'd be home with their son in no time. After all, the ship was billed as completely unsinkable, and most people didn't question that claim whatsoever and just went on board anyways. Unfortunately, however, Virginia was the only one of the Clarks to make it back home, and that's because uh, of her husband's sacrifice that she was able to make it home. So when the ship 
obviously started to sink once it hit the iceberg. Uh, Virginia was in her cabin by herself when she felt the shock from the impact and immediately went to find Walter, who was in the lounge playing cards with some other men, probably with your scam artist. Mm-hmm. Um, she was apparently, or I'm sorry, Walter was apparently unfazed at the time. The vibrations he thought was just something like normal ship ship stuff Stuff, yeah uh when the pair finally realized what actually happened they immediately rushed to the lifeboats like everybody else did hoping that both of them could make it safely as we all know from uh my episode that i covered from the titanic and from the film women and children were allowed to board the lifeboats before anyone else and it was no different in real life much like rose and jack virginia and walter were separated as he made sure his wife was on the lifeboat and on her way to safety although they hoped that they would be reunited eventually uh but that obviously never happened what's perhaps most tragic part of the story is that walter could have joined virginia on the boat and had no idea um uh oh i'm just gonna use her first name hold on let me find her first name alexandra from the titanic exhibit in las vegas stated quote when they got up to the boat deck they were still separated when i'm sorry separating men from women and children and so he placed virginia on one of the boats and not really realizing that he could have still whatever so yeah the boat was supposed to pick up additional passengers as they got lower down to each level but logistics prevented that from happening so the boat ended up on the ocean service with many other seats available had they known earlier walter could have gotten on the boat with her but he did not he stayed with the other first class men and bravely went down with the ship end quote that was a very long quote thank you alexandra Um, So Virginia did eventually make it back home and lived another 45 years or so of passing away. And I got conflicting reports from this 1957 or 1958. They're pretty close. Um, But on display of the Titanic exhibit in Las Vegas is the 18 karat gold locket of Virginia that was found. Not only that, but in 1994, underwater missions that were set to explore the wreckage found other items of the couples when going through the cabin that the couple stayed at their home, which conveniently was close to the center of the ship where it split so they Mm -hmm. could get into it pretty easily. Um, So searchers found cufflinks that were made from golden Turkish coins, some golden lapel pins. Uh, a cosmetic compact plated in gold and a few poker chips. Wow. Uh, yeah. That's as a lot well, of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the crew also found a brass shaving container that actually still had shaving soap inside of it when it was discovered. I know. Um, among, like, I'm sure a million other things that mm-hmm. you can find from other um, passengers. But unfortunately, their son passed away before the locket was found and linked to his parents. So it, he never got possession back into oh. it. Yeah. Super sad. But so let's talk about now. Um, so who knows where exactly James Cameron got the inspiration from the story of the Titanic. Maybe it was a mixture of all of that. Um, I'm sure we can agree visually that the Hope Diamond definitely had a heavy influence on the Heart of the Ocean appearance. Um, the Hope Diamond can be seen still at the Smithsonian's National Gem Collection at the National Museum of Natural History. That's a mouthful. Um, specifically, it can be found at the Janet Annenberg Hooker Hall. Um, of geology, gems, and minerals. It's a very interesting hooker hall. Sorry, I'm immature. Um, The diamond has a place of honor at the head of the gem collection. It rests on a small column that turns slowly and to show the jewel in all four directions so that people can not 
you know, it's kind of hard yeah. when you're like sitting and looking at something and it only faces one way because mm. um, everybody wants to stand there. Um, according to the Smithsonian, the deep blue diamonds rarely exceed a few carats in size. And the Hope Diamond, in fact, is the largest diamond known um, of that type and size. It's for those who like to know history about diamonds. It was formed 100 miles beneath the surface of the earth and carried upward by volcanic eruption more than a billion years ago. Uh, the diamond is estimated now to be worth up to 350 million US dollars. Wow. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's the end of your That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Yeah, it's a very rare blue diamond. That went through a lot of bullshit. Went through a lot. Like, went through a lot of hands That's and wild. lots of royalty, and now it's just sitting in a museum. Wow. Yeah, which is probably where it should be. Yeah. Because, like, here's the thing. is like, the all of the previous owners were like, oh, I don't like this placement. Let's reset it. Let's reset it. Which I can imagine, like, just dwindled down the value. Mm -hmm. Imagine if it was still that 112 carats. It's like a third of that. Though. It's, yeah. Now it's like a third of that because That's it kept wild. getting recut and stuff. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I don't know. Wow. I thought that was a very interesting story. Good job. Thank you. I do, I know it's the end of the story, but I forgot to say this at the beginning. I have a correction to make on my last week's story with the killing of Karen Wood. Um, I said at the end that there's a book called The Killing of Karen Wood. I completely misread that. It's the name of the fucking article that I was reading. <laughs> it says The Killing of Karen Wood was published, blah, 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 right. blah, blah. Right. There's I no thought book. it was a book because, like, in the article, it had, like, a book above it. It's, like, not... Right. I don't know. I didn't do very well, so I'm sorry. Okay. I should have just done a little bit more research because I said in the article, I was like, I have no idea when this was originally published. It was... It told me there. I just didn't know what I was reading. So <laughs> there is no book about the killing of Karen Wood. And if you Google the killing of Karen Wood, you get, like, a million... There's, like, a Karen Smithwood or something like that that also mm. apparently got killed. Mm. I feel like it's a very common... Name. Like, name and then... Yeah, I don't know, but sorry, I just wanted to, cl to correct that. Cool. So I hope this uh, filled your guys's uh, what episode <laughs> hunger. I don't know. With okay. all the different variations, I had a curse. I had the history. I had like the Titanic bullshit. I loved it. Good yeah, job. Thanks. You have questions? No. <laughs> I feel very well versed in the the diamonds right now. I have no questions. I think oh. you did great. Thank you. Outstanding work. Well. Next week, we will have two episodes. Well, not two episodes, two, two topics <laughs> one for you episode. all. Yeah. So one may or may not be Titanic. Well, yeah, we'll find out. Huh? We'll find out. We'll see what we can dig up. Um, you can find us on Instagram if you just look up Who Knew Podcast. Uh, Gmail is whonewpodcast666 at gmail.com. And you can find us on Patreon as well. <clears throat> yep. Hopefully, I don't have COVID next week. I doubt it. Uh, but then I'll have COVID. Just wait. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Else? No, I'm, go? I'm good. I'm good to go. All right. Thanks. Toodles. <laughs>